we're not able to capture Sunday night's sermon on the recorder, so I'm going to run through the notes real quick right now just for the sake of having something to post on the website related to Psalm 50. So we don't have a reader tonight to read that, or at least during this little run-through. So read Psalm 50, and that's what we'll be discussing here in the next few minutes. So the first question, verse 1, who is Asaph? Asaph, according to Matthew Henry, it is probable that Asaph was not only the chief musician who was to put a tune to this psalm, but that he was himself the penman of it. For we read in Hezekiah's time, they praised God in the words of David and Asaph, Second Chronicles 29.30. That's Matthew Henry's thought on it, and it goes along with several other commentaries as well, that Asaph, whose name means to gather, or the gatherer, um, he was David's worship leader, you might say, who put psalms to music and sometimes wrote a few of his own. Um, I think there's at least three of them in the Old Testament book of Psalms that Asaph is responsible for writing. He says in there the words, I will, a number of times. The judge says, I will. I will, I will, I will. So we're going to pay close attention to that. But if you were on trial today, you'd have some questions about the judge. If you were to go to court or knew you were going to court, you would raise the question, who is the judge? What has he done? How does he rule? What will he say in relation to the problem that I'm being uh, having to face today? And Adam Clark said of this psalm in his commentary, seems to contain a description of a great judgment. So does it fit the pattern of a courtroom? Does it fit the pattern of pending judgment? Does this psalm fit the pattern of judgment that is explained and described in the New Testament come Judgment Day, Book of Revelation? So I think we have before us an old prophecy about the judgment that's coming and how that judgment was to be handled at the time. And there's references to Messiah, there's references to a day in the future. In a sense, does it apply to old Israel? Does it apply to mankind in general? Uh, old Testament saints only, New Testament saints? Does it fit the overall pattern that God has outlined as the pattern of how judgment will occur when it comes? So those are the questions that we're looking at, and I think it's always important when reading the Old Testament to pay close attention to the pattern, because the New Testament faith is built upon the Old Testament faith. The New Testament believer stands on the foundation of the Old Testament believer. The things that God told the prophets and the ancients are those very things that Messiah lived up to when he was here, and we as a New Testament believer have embraced the Old Testament as well as all things revealed in the New. How do you know that? Well, in the book of Hebrews it says, I think it's in chapter 12, that Jesus is the author and finisher. The author of what? The author of faith. What faith? The Old Testament faith. As it was explained, to Father Abraham on down through Moses, the law. And the fulfillment of all of that was in the person of Jesus Christ, 
who took the handwritings and the ordinances that were against us and nailed them to the cross at Calvary. And thereby completing the Old Testament and turning us free to trust him in the New Testament era as the finisher of our faith. Uh, much more the Old Testament saint because they had the old faith and by the time the book of Hebrews was written, they were trying to understand that Jesus was indeed the finisher of their faith. So here's where we are, Hebrews 9.27. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. So there's the pattern. Everyone is going to die. And how do we know the conclusion of the judgment? Well, in verse 28, 9.27 and 28 of Hebrews, so Christ once offered, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. So who is willing to serve our sentence? The judge. The God himself who will judge the world has become in flesh Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, who stood up and said, I will. I will pay their penalty. Whatever the law has said in the Old Testament to condemn mankind for his failures, I will take that upon myself, pay his debt, and set him free if he will just trust me, believe me. And that's the pattern that we have. To those who wait, eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Who is saved? All those who trust in the sent one, the Messiah, who came in fulfillment of all things old and brought about a new covenant and a new uh, relationship and a new high priest and a new everything. So the judge is coming. Psalm 50. Verse 1, the mighty one, O God, the Lord has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. The regular and consistent motions of all creation will testify to the reality of who the judge is. Creation screams in the face of mankind that there is a creator. We have to face that reality. If you go outside and look at a brand new Chevrolet, you'd almost have to conclude there must be someone somewhere producing these cars. But yet man can look at the world and say, oh, it just happened. Really? Well, Psalm 1, or uh, verse 1 of Psalm 50, the earth will be called. And the fact that the sun came up this morning and will set this evening is proof that there is a creator and he is also the judge. Now, back in 1925, we had in this country what we call the monkey trial. It was uh, Scopes, a fellow that decided to teach evolution, and the state of Tennessee went after him, and they held this trial in 1925. A lot of big names, you can look it up, it's history. And evolution, according to the courts in the United States of America, was allowed to be taught in the school. Even though the sun comes up every day and sets every day, creation itself declaring the glory of God, Romans 1, uh, uh, Psalms 19, <clears throat> man, thinks he knows better. And the legal system in America said evolution's a good thing. And we've been teaching it ever since. It's really kind of odd that uh, during that same time, Johnny Weissmuller played Tarzan in uh, Marvel Comics, I guess it was, or one of those, created the uh, story of Tarzan the Ape Man. It also came into being Johnny Weissmuller started doing Tarzan movies on 
television in those days. It's not, it also happens that the world in America anyway, kind of went dry. Somebody shut the water valve off and we have what we know as a dust bowl, a dry period that lasted from 29 to 31, 32, somewhere in there. Not to mention the Great Depression, which lasted from uh, in 1929, also took off for quite a while. In America, we were turning our backs on God and creation was crying out. Please don't turn your back on the Creator, but America is too blind to see the reality that God, the Creator, is still on the throne and judgment is coming. The pattern is, once you die, you will face judgment. And there have been shots across the bow for years and years and years. And we in America should wake up to that. Men and women in the world should wake up to it. You can't turn your back on God and expect things to go well. Verse 2, he says, out of Zion, perfection and beauty, God will shine forth. Well, Zion is the place where Jesus came. It's the place where Jesus died on a cross. It's the place where he was buried. He rose again from the dead, and he ascended back to heaven from Zion, the holy hill. Jerusalem, Zechariah 8.3 says, thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion. He's coming back. It's just a fact. And when you get to chapter 14, he says he comes back and the Mount of Olives splits and he walks right into the city to rescue the remnant of people that are still there. That's an actual earthly fulfillment. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the judgment is still coming. And the Lord Jesus will return to Zion. Our God shall come. And yet we know it's the Messiah that returns to Zion. No doubt the Lord Jesus himself. And shall not keep silent and a fire shall devour before him. 50 verse 3. There shall be a very tempestuous and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. You know, basically there's going to be fire that's coming. And the judgment, the final judgment will involve fire. We know that from other places in Scripture. The judge will speak. He will pass judgment. There will be fire to pay. Another way to say that, with all due respect, there shall be hell to pay. And for those who do not trust the Lord Jesus, the pattern is that Christ himself went here on earth, discussed this issue, the wailing and the weeping and the gnashing of teeth and eternal fire. So there's something to be considered there about all of this in Psalm 50, verse 3. And it, there's going to be a firestorm. The pattern is there. And it's spoken about, talked about in both Old and New Testament. When we get to verse 4, we're going to call in the witnesses. Now we know who the judge is. The Lord Jesus himself is coming back. Who are the witnesses? Well, we've kind of alluded to that already. He shall call heaven above and the earth below. And he may judge his people. Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Let the heavens declare his righteousness. For God himself is judge. Selah, think about that. God himself is judge. Well... I thought Jesus was the judge. Yes, because Jesus is God. And that's just the way it's going to be. And the Bible holds that up. In Revelation 19, the Lord Jesus comes riding in on a big horse, dressed in white robes, dipped in blood with a sword. 
in judgment. He's going to take care of things. It's going to get straightened out. <clears throat> gather my saints together. That word gather there is the same as the word for Asaph in the old language. Maybe a play on words, I don't know. But heaven and earth will be the judge. Again, Psalm 19, Romans 1. There's going to be a judgment, and all of creation will testify. From that, I observe this reality that every man, woman, and child that ever looks up and sees the sun or feels the sun or is aware of the creation at some point is held accountable for their knowledge of that creation. So when the book of Romans says, when they knew God from creation, <clears throat> they did not worship him as God and neither were they thankful. And that's the point, I think, when you pass a line of no return. That doesn't necessarily mean they're saved, but they're going to be judged according to creation and creation is going to testify against everyone who has turned their backs on God. The first question will be, <laughs> didn't you see the sun come up? How can you say you didn't believe? <clears throat> so there's the witnesses, heaven and earth. And he talks about those who are making sacrifices. Let heavens declare God's righteousness, his righteousness, not yours. The fact that you are making sacrifices to please God only makes you a religious person that thinks you're earning points with God. The reality is it's his righteousness, the righteousness of the judge who said, I will. He's the one that counts. You put your trust in him. I don't care about your sacrifices. How many times did Jesus say that when he was on earth? They, religion isn't going to get the righteousness that we need. A faith system that we think makes us holy really doesn't count. The only thing that will count will be Christ himself. Do you believe in him? Do we believe in him? And so the religious person is on trial. <clears throat> Look what it says in verse 7. Hear, O my people Israel, this Old Testament saints, I will speak, O Israel, I will testify against you. The judge is testifying again. I am God, your God. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings which are continually before me. The idea behind that word rebuke in English is one thing, but it really kind of means, you know, I don't even care to talk about how many sacrifices you've made because it doesn't matter. It's never been about bulls and goats and sheep. It's been about Christ, who we read earlier, and who is the bodily sacrifice one time. It's not about the goats and the bulls and things. Why? Verse 9, will I take a bull from your house or a goat from your fold? Verse 10, for every beast of the field is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. They're all mine. I know the birds personally, have a relationship with them. One of them falls to the ground, I got it. I know about it. It's in a Sermon on the Mount. The wild beasts of the field, if I was hungry, would I tell you? For the world is mine and the fullness of it. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink goat's blood? No. Do you get the feeling it's personal? Yes, it's very personal. It's a personal 
faith factor, a trust factor. We need to trust in Jesus for salvation. And any other ritual of sacrifice we think we're making to please God really doesn't count for earning righteousness that God himself is giving us freely because Jesus paid it all on the cross of Calvary. Do we trust him? That's the pattern. And our little religious ceremonies and sacrifices, rituals, rites and rules, regulations, all of that is worthless if our heart isn't right with the Lord Jesus as the only hope of salvation. Yeah, it's personal. <clears throat> and in a sense, these people are being held accountable for the first four commandments. You know, when you read the Ten Commandments, it's all about honoring God. So here's the verdict for the first religious crowd. He said, listen to this, verse 14. Offer to God thanksgiving, and neither were they thankful. Isn't that what Paul said in Romans 1? Yeah. It's more about personal Oh God, thank you for being my Savior. And it's not thank you for because I go to church every Sunday, put money in the basket, have this gift, that gift, or the other gift, and can do a thousand things for you, oh God. You know, I put money, I gave money to the, the Santa Claus out front of Kmart. You know, I'm a good person. Those things are nice. Go ahead, do it. But don't expect God to give you a special dispensation of grace that will allow you into heaven because of it. Because if you, we could get to heaven by those things, Jesus died in vain. Salvation is of the Lord. Give thanks. Pay your vows to the Most High. Live up to what you say you believe. Call upon me. Offer, pay, and call. <clears throat> you get in trouble, call upon me. Trust me. And I will deliver you. Who? The judge. What did he say? I will. I will deliver. And your life will be a glory to me. It's a pretty good verse. Pretty cool. When the judge in your own trial says, I'll cover your debt. You're free to go. Second defendant enters the courtroom. The wicked. Verse 16. But the wicked, God says to the wicked, what right have you to declare my statutes, to take my covenant in your mouth? Seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you, when you saw a thief, you consented with him. When you were partakers with adulterers, you give your mouth to evil, your tongue frames deceit, you sit and speak against your brother, you slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought I was altogether like you. Well, wake up. We're going to talk about that. I will rebuke you and set them, those things in order before your eyes. What things? Well, basically, he just described the rest of the commandments, like from commandment number five to number ten. Thieving and stealing and lying and dishonoring your parents. Because when you disrespect your brother, you're disrespecting your parents. On and on it goes. I mean, these wicked people have walked away from God, and they're living for themselves and running their mouths as though they know more than God. They think that God is no better than another good man just like I am. He's on my side. Well, <clears throat> it's not going to work out that way. Here comes the second verdict. Verse 22. Now consider this. Separate this mentally in your head. That's what that word means. Consider. Right? Take the way you've been living 
and separate that from the way I expect and what I as God expect from you. You who forget God <clears throat> to be totally oblivious to the reality of the sun coming up every day and going down every day in all of the earth and of heaven testifying against you that you're a wrong if you think there's no creator, there's no God. And if you want to continue to believe in your evolution and the lies related to it, the doctrine of demons, if you want to embrace that theology, know this. You're on the wrong side of truth. And God is coming. And the earth and the heavens, all of creation, will testify on the day of judgment. The Lord will say, did you not see the sun come up? Hebrews 10 for we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the wicked. <laughs> it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And the wicked, this is last call. Wake up. Pay attention. Consider this, you who forget, lest I tear you to pieces and there be none to deliver. Last call. The sun's still rising. And here's some good news. If the sun is still rising, then there's still time. There's still time in the day to consider the Creator and the salvation that God has provided. Whoever offers praise glorifies me. Verse 23. Offer praise. Start considering God. And start reading the first four commandments about who he is and what kind of behavior he expects from his creation. I am the Lord your God. There should be no other gods before you. You'll not use my name in vain. You know? Start thinking about that. Will that save you? No. It's a good thing to start thinking about, though. If you've been so wicked as to think there's no God, you might want to just start thinking about God. And to him who orders his conduct aright. In other words, start living by the commandments 5 through 10. <clears throat> so to him who orders his conduct aright, we're talking about living up to the next six commandments, 5 through 10, and practicing being a good person. Now, is that going to save you? No, it won't. But there is an element of when you finally acknowledge that there is a creator and a God, and you start to read his rules of life, that your heart might become a little bit more tender and understanding, like, I can't do this perfectly, and I need God. And that's the whole point. And just to back it up with a New Testament pattern, Jesus said something similar to this to the Jewish people in his day. And it's in John seven seventeen. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine. And it doesn't necessarily say that they're saved. But if they're reading the book and thinking about truth and looking at the rules... You know, they're in a better position to begin to understand the doctrine. 
whether in the rest of uh, verse 17 there in John 7, whether it's from God or whether I speak about myself. Well, we know that Jesus was speaking about God, and we know that it fits the pattern that's outlined in Psalm 50, where it says, I will show the salvation of God. I will. God has promised that if we spend time meditating on the book, on the scripture, and even you could infer here the Ten Commandments, and just see the shortcoming. Have you ever told a lie? As Ray Comfort would ask, yes, you have. Have you ever looked on a woman? Yes, we have. Have you ever? Yes, we have. And Ray Comfort would say, well, then you're a lying, cheating, stealing adulterer, and you think God's okay with that. And that's the pattern. And if we would get there, the book says, I will, the judge will, reveal his salvation to you. And that salvation comes to man in the person of Jesus Christ who died on the cross at Calvary, was buried and rose again from the dead and said, just before he died, it is finished. And so all who come to him will find hope. So basically, we get to this conclusion of things. Psalm 50 verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble, you religious people, and I will deliver you. Don't call upon your religion, call upon me. I will, said the judge. And to the wicked, he says similar, if you just start paying attention, I will show you. And if you start to learn the truth about the sun coming up every day, Maybe you'll begin to learn the truth about who Jesus really was and find salvation, faith, and hope in him and start giving thanks to God. Basically, when a person mentally decides to practice the Big Ten, to honor God with their life, to do right by his neighbor, pursue truth, then God has promised to reveal his salvation, to make known to us, I will show the salvation of God. And if we're looking to him and giving thanks to him and trusting him, we will most likely receive the salvation. You say most likely. Well, when you get to the point where you realize, I can't keep the law because I'm a sinner by choice and by practice, that I need the Savior, I want you to know the judge came first time to deal with sin. And the one who said, I will, is Jesus, who took upon himself at Calvary our sins. The only question is, for salvation, do we trust him? Do we believe he is our only Savior? That's the real issue. When we stand on trial before God, we trust. We will ask the great judge, who could save us from condemnation? And the judge himself, Jesus Christ, has already said, I will. Do we believe it? Do we trust him?